information in this podcast is meant for the education of clinicians in rehabilitation. This is not meant for personal medical diagnosis and treatment, and individuals should always consult an appropriate medical practitioner. Hello and welcome to the Vestibular Special Interest Group podcast presented to you by the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy. Today, in our show, we are joined by authors of the article, Does Exercise Increases Vestibular and Ocular Motor Symptom Detection After Sports-Related Concussion? We have with us today Dr. Michael Popovich and Wendy Carter. Dr. Popovich is a clinical assistant professor of neurology at the University of Michigan. He currently serves as a team physician for Eastern Michigan University Athletics and has served as a ringside physician for USA Boxing. His his research has focused on the use of exercise in the management of sport-related concussion. Wendy has obtained her vestibular certification in 2003 and her ABPTS certification in 2012 in neurology. She has been a part of the Michigan Medicine Neurosport program since 2013, providing vestibular PT for athletes following concussion. She has co-authored peer-reviewed publications on vestibular ocular motor screening in adolescents after concussion balance BPPV, and vibrotactile feedback. She's also a member of the revision working group for vestibular hyperfunction clinical practice guidelines. Welcome and thank you so much for uh, joining me today and uh, being a part of the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to it. So, As we all know, um, a sport-related concussion is an individualized injury that presents with a myriad of um, symptoms. And especially an acute sport-related concussion can often be a very challenging situation for healthcare practitioners. Um, Now, in concussion, do you see any profile, uh, a clinical profile in concussion, or it's just a clean-cut symptoms of um, neurological symptoms or anxiety, or, um, or has a model been described for um, concussion clinical profile? It's a, uh, oftentimes people will try to profile concussion patients uh, in different ways, a lot of times based on uh, the types of symptoms that they're having. Um, our our neurosport group, the approach that we take uh, is generally to, to look for factors related to the injury that, um, that we think are contributing to symptoms or, or driving symptoms. Um, and, and we use that to, to help with guiding um, the type of care that we give to, to help with recovery. So examples of that would be uh, you know, vestibular dysfunction um, or, or similarly, similarly uh, ocular motor dysfunction. Um, if we're seeing signs of that, that's something that oftentimes can cause uh, symptoms like dizziness or, or contribute to headache. Um, uh, neck strain is pretty commonly uh, associated with a, a concussion injury um, and oftentimes uh, a neck strain um, cervicogenic factors can contribute to symptoms like headache and uh, also to dizziness um, and other types of symptoms as well, uh, physical symptoms. Um, sometimes mood or stress, uh, related symptoms can be a really prominent part of the picture. Um, potential autonomic dysfunction is is another thing that we look for, for signs and symptoms that we would be thinking about. And I think the the point of all that is to try to find, uh, specific, uh, issues that we have 
targeted interventions like physical therapies to uh, to help with the recovery. Um, and uh, I think one of the one of the challenges in profiling people this way is um, it's hard to kind of fit patients within one specific box. A lot of times people will kind of overlap and have different components of this. So we just try to identify as many of these these sort of factors as we can that we can uh, address. And that uh, I think that approach generally gives you the best best chance of giving people uh, the best recovery possible. Now, um, are there any uh, common symptoms that we see? I know you described anxiety and uh, mood changes, even sleep and neck related problems. But um, do you notice in the population, um, does vestibular and oculomotor symptoms, uh, do they, are they a heavy presentation in concussion? Yeah, I would definitely say it's, uh, it's pretty common. Um, I think the, the symptoms that often fall in the, the vestibular ocular motor um, realm, uh, such as on the VOMS, you know, the, the main symptoms on that headache, uh, the dizziness, nausea, fogginess, I think that kind of hits at a lot of the areas where people have uh, symptoms. So we see those, those sorts of symptoms commonly, uh, mood-related symptoms, like I mentioned, are, are very common, different types of cognitive symptoms. Um, so and it's, it could be uh, pretty variable. Some patients will have you know, the full assortment of different types of symptoms. Some patients might be mainly headaches, some might be mainly dizziness. So it could be, okay. could be very variable. And, and have you noticed, um, does vestibular or ocular profile, if a patient presents to us with that, does that have an impact on recovery of our patients? It definitely uh, can. Um, part of that depends on the timing. So I'd say it's, it's pretty common, like immediate af immediately after the injury to see um, symptoms that are potentially uh, vestibular or ocular motor related. Um, um, where I think it can in particular impact the length of recovery is when that persists. So for a lot of people that might be present, you know, right after the injury, but go away pretty quickly. But when we're seeing people in our clinic, um, you know, within a week or two from the injury or, or longer after that, and we're seeing these types of issues that are persistent, I think that's, that's in particular where it can um, play a part in a longer recovery where it's just, where it's, where it's not just not getting better on its own. Now, um, when you thought about um, writing up this um, study, uh, what was the chief reason um, that you picked certain kind of assessments? Are, are there certain assessments um, that you usually pick and choose uh, when you first see your, your patient in the clinic? Uh, so I think this, this study was really um, designed to demonstrate um, some, some, some things that we observe clinically. Um, in particular, um, the role of uh, using physical exertion exercise as part of the, the assessment of uh, concussed patients, uh, and in particular, using that to um, identify potential uh, vestibular ocular motor related uh, issues. Um, and so I think uh, recognizing that, um, you know, sometimes symptoms won't be present at rest, sometimes they're only present with uh, physical exertion. Um, and, and with that, sometimes it's not just the uh, act of exerting yourself that brings out the symptoms. Sometimes it's more the type of movement, different types of twisting, turning, rotational movement. Those are the things that sometimes can prominently bring out symptoms. So we always try to make sure that we uh, observe patients doing those, all those different things. So we get the best sense of, of what could be different types of activities could be driving symptoms. Now you use bombs um, as your main um, assessment tool. Um, 
WAM stands for Vestibular Ocular Motor Screening Assessment. Um, what is WAMS? Wendy, would you just tell all our listeners, what is WAMS? Sure. So this test was first developed in 2014 by Ann Yuka and her colleagues at the U University of Pittsburgh Medical Center to help us screen for these vestibular and ocular motor um, related symptoms. And it consists of seven subtests. They are smooth pursuits, horizontal saccades, vertical saccades, near point convergence, horizontal VOR, vertical VOR, and visual motion sensitivity, which most physical therapists know as VOR cancellation. Um, so these tests, what we're looking at is really the symptom change on these tests when we um, get their symptoms, their headache, they have to rate their headache, their dizziness, their nausea, their fogginess prior to doing the test, and then immediately after doing the test. And what we're looking for is their change in their symptom score from the, the before and after. Um, as a physical therapist, I know I like to use this test as a nice screening when I see them from week to week in the clinic, just to get some sort of baseline idea of, of where they're, you know, how they're doing. And then I also use this measure um, with other outcome measures to get the whole picture of the patient, right? And based on how they do on the VOMS and what they're really having trouble with and what I know they're having trouble with as far as academics or sports related um, things, then I can use this to base my home exercise program. So I wanted to ask you, um, you said you use this in the clinic. Is WOMS also being used on field or is it primarily a clinical um, assessment tool? So, uh, so we definitely use it as part of our on-field or, or sideline assessment. So not necessarily the, the formal, uh, you know, scoring-based VOMS uh, assessment that might be done kind of uh, as part of research, but um, we definitely incorporate the, the maneuvers from the VOMS as part of our sideline assessment. Um, definitely uh, can be a useful tool in terms of if you're seeing symptoms provoked by that uh, on, a, on an athlete that you're concerned might have a concussion. That's something that you can use to, to help with um, making that assessment, making a, a determination if they should come out of the game. Um, I think beyond symptoms, it can oftentimes be a helpful objective tool too, because I've seen situations where you can see um, pretty transient abnormalities and eye movements. I've seen athletes have uh, like nystagmus or uh, psychotic movements of their eyes that are present shortly after the injury. Um, or they might just appear really uncomfortable when we're doing different things like the, the VR maneuver or the saccades. And um, that can be really helpful because there, there's situations where, you know, uh, the athlete might not be reporting symptoms or, or might be hiding symptoms and having um, some, something objective like that to, to help with making the determination can be really uh, valuable for, for making a good decision in, uh, in that assessment. Now you are a very close-knit team. I, I work in an outpatient clinic. Uh, we don't have a full-fledged concussion team. And um, I very recently saw a young girl, nine years old, um, who didn't have a sports related concussion she actually fell off the swing and um she did have both vestibular ocular motor and she also had some um anxiety as well that was provoked she did suffer from some behavioral issues in the beginning um but vestibular and ocular were the two um biggest challenges for us now as as this big collaborative team how do you use worms between each one of you like patient gets it tested from the doctor, then a PT, then, I mean, um, 
when the symptoms just keep increasing. So elaborate a little bit more for me on for that. Right. So it's it, great to have a screening tool for the doctors to use to kind of figure out, all right, does this, does this patient need vestibular physical therapy, right? And the VOMS is a, is a great way to at least take a little closer look at that. Um, or do they need an MRI because they're seeing some very abnormal eye movements, right? Um, from there, we, we definitely, like I touched on earlier, we use it as physical therapists um, initially and then um, typically briefly during, during our visits just to help guide to see where they are going as far as recovery and what we need to do from an exercise standpoint. Um, I take many of these exercises from a static standpoint to a dynamic standpoint as we go on and just have that bombs background um, that helps, helps guide me and, and figure that out. Um, and then the athletic trainers and doctors use it on the gym floor when they're out there doing the exertional testing with these, with these athletes as well. So um, I think we can then confer on, okay, did you see what I saw, right, as far as what's going on? And, and um, yeah, really collaborate nicely as a team. So what would be your suggestion for um, someone who works more or less, maybe independently, not completely independently, you're still collaborating with your um, neurologist or um, headache specialist or even psychologist at that point of time. Um, do you, um, how would you think would be the best way for someone who's working more independently as compared to a team like yours where patient may actually go through all the doctors? Uh, would you still suggest them to do VOMS right away when they first present to the clinic or do you want to wait it out um how how what, what would be your um way to go wendy if they can tolerate it meaning they're not real symptomatic um if someone has for instance like a seven to eight level headache they're most likely not going to get through the complete voms they just can't tolerate it so you might be able to do a few pieces the first session and then you know look at it again the second the second session um, but yes, I do think I would have that as part of my outcome measure for the concussion population in using the bombs. Now, specifically in your article, um, you had used the term SEC or um, the supervised exercise challenges. What exactly do you mean by that? I know Mike mentioned briefly about it, um, but what I'm trying to ask you is like, Describe to us what is a supervised exercise challenge. Yes, that's uh, the term we, uh, we've used for our in-clinic uh, exercise assessments, exertional testing. Um, so we, um, we've made this a pretty standard part of our uh, patient care in our uh, concussion clinic. So pretty much all of our uh, concussed patients will um, do some form of a workout as part of, as part of their clinic visit and evaluation. Um, so we, we, we put them through uh, a, a workout that's kind of designed to mimic the different stages of the return to play uh, progression. Um, and we use this uh, for, for a few different reasons. A big part of it is to see if we see uh, symptoms that come on with exertion or symptoms that get worse with uh, exertion. That kind of helps us with seeing where people are at in, in the stage of recovery and in that return to play process. And also uh, we use it as a... a Kind of as a final test too for so for people that are not reporting symptoms anymore we'll put them through kind of a, a really challenging high intensity workout as, as a last test and if 
you know, somebody's not having symptoms, they feel like they're back to their baseline, they can go through this workout without symptoms. That's one of the things, one of the big things that we um, use as a, as a test to determine when somebody's recovered from concussion and, and safe to go back to, to contact, safe to go back to their sport. So, um, you know, with concussion um, comes this huge challenge of, um, are we exerting the patient when to give them a break? So here we are actually making the patient go through all the exertive um, movements. Um, so when you think about using supervised exercise challenges for VOMS, like you mentioned, when the patient first comes to the clinic on field, you've assessed the patient and then perhaps the patient comes to the clinic, um, let's suppose in a week's time, would you do these supervised exercise challenges right in the beginning um, when you did this study were all those patients going through that first or was it first tested at rest? The VOMS was tested at rest. Yeah, usually the, the flow will be, we'll see uh, the patient in the clinic first and as part of that uh, clinic assessment, we'll do a physical exam or we will generally do components of the VOMS as part of that uh, at rest. And then um, we usually aim to have uh, patients as, as soon as the first visit do um, some form of workout in our gym kind of depends a little bit on in terms of, you know, if they're having a lot of really prominent symptoms, we might uh, kind of take it easy or if they're just a day or so out from the injury. But uh, generally speaking, we're, we see people, you know, around around a week or so from the injury. And it's, it's generally they're at an appropriate point where we can put them through some, some workouts. So we, we definitely tailor it to where they're at in their recovery, where they're at in the, in the, uh, return to play process. Um, but we'll, we'll at least start with a, a low level, uh, exertion, like a stationary bike at a slow pace, slow, low resistance, um, some, some low forms of dynamic exercise, like these medicine ball, uh, challenges that we used in the study. Um, and then we kind of tailor it from there based on symptom tolerance, uh, in terms of how we'll progress it from there. So, um, in the study, uh, you had used both aerobic um, components and you had used the dynamic components where you had the medicine ball and you had used different directions to provoke the symptoms. Now, um, like you mentioned, um, is there um, a cutoff of symptom um, presentation? For example, if the headache is, let's suppose patient at rest is presenting with a headache of five, five out of 10, um, but the dizziness is like seven out of 10, what qualifies a patient objectively to get a supervised exercise challenge or not get a supervised exercise challenge? Um, so I think um, I'd say uh, part of it, like I said, is kind of based on how bad the symptoms are. So, you know, if somebody's reporting like 10 out of 10 headache, that's something that, where we probably wouldn't uh, push them through something like that. But if, if symptoms are more kind of mild to moderate level, that's, that's generally the, the situation where we'll start the, the exercise protocol. And then we base it, um, we've adapted our, our practice uh, around other similar types of uh, in-clinic exercise assessments and activity guidance, like the Buffalo concussion uh, treadmill test. So we use a, a three out of 10 uh, point cutoff. So if any symptom gets worse by three or more points, it's generally, uh, where we would slow down or stop the exercise. And that's, that's also kind of how we'll guide people in terms of giving them um, um, recommendations in terms of what type of physical, like what, what intensity of physical activity to do. So we'll, we'll try to 
aim for keeping uh, whatever they're doing below that three point threshold. So we think it's okay if symptoms get a little bit worse with, with exertion, but if it's kind of more prominently provoking symptoms, you know, above that three or more point uh, increase, that's where we try to try to keep it below. We think that's where it becomes um, not good for recovery. And that's the same thing for the vestibular exercises that are assigned to the patients. They have the, the same guidelines to use three points or more headache, dizziness, nausea, fogginess goes up. That's their cue to take a break from the exercise and then try it again later. Now, um, there were, there were um, set of these exercises um, and about how much time did patients have to kind of spend on them um, before you did your um, post um, SEC ones? So the, um, the exercise protocol for the stationary bike part, that was the first part of our, our exercise protocol. That was um, about 16 uh, minutes long. Um, and so that was um, kind of specifically timed. Everything was based in two minute intervals is when we made adjustments in terms of the pace of, of the exercise or the resistance on the bike. Um, and then there were three different sets of uh, medicine ball challenges of increasing complexity, um, those ones didn't have a specific time frame. There's, uh, three sets of, uh, of, uh, different amounts of repetitions of those, but I'd say in general, pe people would spend in some, somewhere around 25 ish minutes, uh, doing the, the exercise protocol. And then we would sit them down and then immediately do the, the VOMS, uh, reassessment after they'd completed all of the medicine ball exercises. What was the biggest challenge you faced when these patients came in and you gave them all these exercises? Um, I think in terms of uh, uh, the, while we're doing it in the clinic, I would say um, it's, it's fairly rare, but there are instances where somebody might get, you know, really symptomatic or, or might get, you know, feel sick from doing it. It's not, not commonly the case, but sometimes um, symptoms can get pretty, pretty, uh, significantly exacerbated by, by doing some of these challenges. Um, I think kind of a, another challenge outside of the clinic is, um, kind of tracking what the patients do. I think we, we, we'll give them kind of recommendations on the amount of exercise to do kind of on a regular basis, but, you know, sometimes that can be hard to manage with all the other things they, the patients have going on like school or work and, um, kind of getting the optimal amount of, uh, physical exercise or vestibular exercises, uh, on a regular basis. That, that can sometimes be a big challenge for patients. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you was when, whenever you had, um, the, the challenge, um, of, of patients feeling exerted and, the, the basic idea I'm trying to ask is, you were seeing all this in the clinic previously, even before you decided to do the study, right? And what made you guys think that, um, let's, let's do this as a part of the study, and the, there were certain exercises that provoked it more, um, like were aerobic more challenging or more dynamic more challenging? What made you decide? let us pick an aerobic component and let us pick a dynamic component and set them together. I think it's just, uh, from our experiences with patients, I think, um, just certain patients are different in terms of what provokes symptoms. So for some patients, it's really just, um, the physical exertion, the intensity of the exercise. So that's, that's a big reason why we'll do some form of, uh, of an aerobic exercise, like an exercise bike, where we're really, the main goal is we're trying to see 
if uh, symptoms come on or get worse uh, in relation to the intensity, which we track based on heart rate. Um, and so stationary bikes oftentimes one that will pick as an initial exercise and what we use for the study because it limits the, the movement of the patient. So it's really kind of um, isolating just the, the exertion based on heart rate. Um, but for some patients, you know, they can tolerate that sort of thing pretty well. Um, but once you introduce different types of movement, um, that's where uh, a lot of the symptoms can, can come in. So um, that's why we kind of make sure we do both types of, uh, of, of those exercises. And we do it in that, that systematic way so that we can kind of isolate, is it more related to the amount of uh, exertion or is it more related to the movement or is it a combination of both? And that can help with um, helping identify what the best sort of um, rehab approach would be in terms of exercise or if uh, something like vestibular therapy is uh, something that we think would help. And I think when you think about all sports, right, they all have that exertional component and that dynamic component. So we're trying to bring those two together and, and also separate them and, and, and see what goes on. Now, fatigue plays a huge role in concussion. Um, did you notice um, any fatigue associated with aerobic exercises or dynamic exercises? I know you didn't have um, balance as a, as a component of your um, supervised exercise challenges um, and balance activities do lead to fatigue and there are studies that say that fatigue um, does impact patients. So uh, what was your take um, with between aerobic and dynamic exercises and um, fatigue and their impact on bombs? I don't think we saw a lot of fatigue per se. What we see maybe is more as a stacking of symptoms on each other that can happen. Um, so sometimes these patients do need some rest in between um, you know, the activities to let the symptoms come back to baseline, at least when they're doing it for um, rehabilitation. We very much encourage that, that we don't want these symptoms to um, get way out of control. So. We usually break it up into small parts, let the symptoms go back to baseline, plus maybe even another 30 seconds to a minute, and then we go on to the, the next activity. I'm curious, how much time does VOMS take when a patient is at rest? So at rest, just doing it in the clinic is what Yes. Mm -hmm. It can actually be done pretty quickly, especially if they're not symptomatic. The ones that get real symptomatic and you have to give them that extra break time, then it will take longer. Otherwise, Mike, I don't know what you think, but I think we can get it done in five minutes or less. Yeah, I think definitely just, uh, just a few minutes, I think is, uh, is pretty much all you need to, to run through it, really. I especially wanted to ask that because sometimes patients are so provoked and um, sometimes so hard to get them down to their baseline values when they first started. So I wanted to ask if that actually played a role in your case when you did the supervised um, exercise challenges and you did the VOMs and their symptoms worsened, which we're going to discuss more about. Um, that's what your study talks about. Um, did you have to wait longer, um, give them really long rest breaks so that they feel better? Or do you just like, you know, you have the three point cutoff and they come back to like three points less and then let's just go on and move on to the next component of arms. Yeah, so, um, so if we did have uh, a more uh, significant symptom exacerbation, um, generally we would, uh, you know, it, it, it would depend on the, the situation with the patient, but let's say they did the exercise bike and their, their headache got 
higher than our three point cutoff. Um, usually we would, um, we would have them stop. They might take kind of a brief break, but we try to, um, try to move on to the next part, but we would, uh, generally wait till the symptom kind of calms down, um, at least gets back below that three point cutoff before we start again. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, so the next question is what, what, what did you see with patients going through these exertions, these uh, the exercise challenges? What was the outcome when they did WAMS? Did the did the symptoms go through the roof, or there were a certain set of people where the symptoms got through the roof, and um, were there certain exercises that you felt like um, oh aerobic really exert people more? Um, I know Mike said that. Sometimes some get exerted more with one component, some get exerted with the other. But in your study, um, what, what all did you see with this group of patients? Well, when you look specifically at the VOMs, the largest classification change from pre to post was uh, the smooth pursuit test. Um, and then there were significantly greater numbers of positive assessments for five of the eight VOMs items compared um, with pre SEC, including smooth pursuit, vertical saccades, gear point convergent symptoms, visual motion sensitivity, and horizontal VOR. And I think uh, along with that, so we, we saw um, symptoms kind of increase in a lot of the different assessments uh, when we did it after the exercise compared to before. I think one of the other uh, important things that we saw were was there was uh, a fair number of cases, something like a a fourth to a third of the, the patients where when they did the VOMS uh, assessment the first time before the exercise, it was uh, a negative assessment. But when we repeated it after the, the um, exercise, we got a positive uh, assessment. So I think that was something that highlights potentially situations where doing it at rest, uh, doing the VOMS at rest might not detect symptoms uh, that, that would be uh, present when, when the, when the uh, athlete exerts themselves. So um, I think shows the potential value of using uh, exertion to, to potentially um, uncover more symptoms uh, related to vestibular and ocular motor dysfunction. So um, do you uh, suggest that um, this is done on all patients? Your study had a few limitations because it, it had children to adolescents in the age population. So um, would you generalize um, your outcomes to even adults as well, that uh, we do it with everybody? I would say, yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we kept it to a, a pediatric age population for study purposes, but we see uh, adults in our clinic. We, we see a pretty wide variety of patients. We see adults, we see, um, you know, more recreational athletes, we see non-athletes. I think, uh, most of the, the components of the concussion injury and the symptoms are, uh, I think, pretty universal. Um, so I think that um, I expect that the, the findings that we, we saw in this study would, would apply to, to a pretty wide range of population, including uh, adults and, and non-sport related concussion for sure. And I think the big thing is we want them to return and be successful and not have symptoms when they return to play, right? So we're really doing our best try to bring some of that out before they're, they're cleared by the physician. And how about um, utilizing um, these uh, supervised exercise challenging in patients who are 
asymptomatic at rest or um, do we do this for patients who are symptomatic at rest too? So, so what I mean to ask is WAMS done pre and post um, SECs or would you say, well, this patient is asymptomatic at rest, let's do the SECs to see if we can provoke the symptoms. Um, so what's, what, how would you um, generalize for that population? Yeah, I think, I think there's value either way. So if somebody's not having symptoms at rest, I think the, the exertion is really helpful because uh, it's pretty uh, common where, you know, through the course of recovery after a concussion, um, people will get to the point where they do well at rest. But when you, when you exert yourself, whether it's physically or, or mentally, um, that's where symptoms will come out. So it's really important to, um, um, to know how somebody's doing with, uh, with, forms of exertion before you make a determination if they're uh, recovered or not. And then, you know, even if somebody's already, you know, if somebody's having symptoms at rest, we, we have a sense that they're not recovered. We might uh, be able to have a sense that they have, um, you know, signs that are suggestive of uh, vestibular dysfunction, but um, we still find value in doing the exertional testing because um, that, um, can show us the degree of exercise that somebody can tolerate. So that's where those like three point cutoffs, for instance, come into play. So if um, somebody, let's say, tolerates exercise up to like 150 beats per minute on their heart rate, um, but anything higher than that, their symptoms get too too high for our scale. That's helps us because we can give guidance on you know exercise at you know this certain heart rate. Um, we think that'll that'll help you get better faster. Um, or if we're really seeing a lot of uh, vestibular symptoms with the exercise, that, that's a patient where we'll really try to stress the uh, vestibular rehab part of it uh, to help with their recovery. So um, along with the symptom change that was noticed with bombs, um, other than heart rate um, evaluation, any other um, vitals that were assessed as well? Uh, so the heart rates are, are typical that we'll record during the exercise. We'll have our uh, patients wear a, a heart rate monitor around the chest so we can continuously uh, track that. Um, so we, we do do other vitals like before the exercise, we'll check blood pressure as well and, and heart rate as well. Um, and then um, we do the other thing that we track in our uh, clinic, we didn't necessarily, uh, I think report this in the study, but we will we'll also get a, a rating of perceived exertion from the patients. Um, we can kind of use that as another marker for intensity of exercise and another way to help guide people in terms of how much, uh, how, how they should uh, um, kind of guide their activity on their own at home. Now, um, the other question I have is, um, we are specifically speaking about sport-related concussion, but concussions can happen to older people, younger children, um, without relation to sports. So um, are these results that you saw in your study, would you um, generalize that? to a population which is not related to sports? I think so. I think I, I, think I would expect that it, it would be the case. I think, um, I think it's a pretty universal component of concussion that um, exertion or movement can, can influence uh, symptom provocation. I think that's something that's seen across the board. I think um, like Wendy kind of said, uh, alluded to earlier, I think where, where it comes in uh, play with athletes is, you know, we're, we're specifically trying to get somebody back to a sport. And part of that is, um, you know, doing different types of physical activity as part of their sport. And you need to 
kind of clear through the the steps of a return to play protocol um, for for somebody in you know non-athlete um, that that's a situation where they, they may not necessarily be trying to get back to something uh, like a sport where there's physical activity involved but the same types of um, issues in relation to movement or exertion can still uh, definitely cause cause symptoms and contribute to symptoms so um, so I think identifying that's still really valuable in terms of helping helping them rehab as well. Now, Wendy, um, these, um, you know that some of these components of direction, preference, bending over, diagonal uh, movements, we often use that as a treatment intervention for rehabilitation. Now, did you use these supervised exercise challenges as a part of your um, treatment intervention as well, or they were left primarily for um, just assessment? Yes, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. It depends on who the patient is and what they need to get back to. Um, but I definitely include a lot of um, different planes of movement in, in my treatments. I often progress to adding that you know, hard balance challenge while they're moving. Um, and we really start you know, at the minimal level and really add a lot of dynamic components to it as we go along and the, the patient is able to tolerate it. And how about uh, VOMs having any MCIDs or any clinically significant um, value for, uh, for patients that if any cutoff points that we have for VOMs available at this time? Not to my knowledge. I think the only thing that they found so far was with just near point convergence, the actual movement itself that uh, um, the MDC, so minimal detectable change with 95% confidence is four centimeters. And how do you foresee the future? Like what all do you think will be incorporated in the future and any future studies that you would like to see being done or something that's coming up in, in, in uh, UMICH at this time that you guys are planning out? Well, I think uh, I would expect, I think more and more uh, the value of uh, exercise in the overall management of uh, concussions. That's been an area where there's been a lot of uh, advancement in knowledge in recent years in, in terms of um, using um, exercise as uh, kind of a therapy and uh, helping people recover um, using this sub-symptom threshold uh, approach to exercise. Um, but I think there's a lot of um, value to the exercise assessment in the clinic um, in terms of, um, like we talked about, in terms of uh, helping see where the patient is at in recovery, see, seeing uh, signs of um, factors that might be contributing to symptoms like uh, vestibular ocular motor uh, dysfunction. And I think there's uh, a potential role for exercise to help contribute to more objective um, tool, uh, objective findings uh, after a concussion. So and that's an area where there's really a great need. Um, so we, we talked about, we, we track heart rates in our clinic, we use that kind of more to um, uh, give people guidance on the amount of exercise to do. But I think there, there's um, going to be more and more uh, studies on um, physiologic markers like that, heart rate variability, other, other markers of uh, potential autonomic nervous system dysfunction. I think uh, there's potential that exercise can really have uh, some objective um, findings that can be used to help with um, 
um, evaluating if somebody's had a concussion or, or when they're recovered from a concussion. Do you foresee uh, also using balance um, exercises as a part of the supervised exercise challenge um, routine, or you you think that that should always be kept as a separate component because it can trigger fatigue or or cognitive um, exercises that do tend to uh, trigger cognitive uh, fatigue? Do you think they'll be kept separate from an aerobic and a dynamic component, or do you think in near future we may have um, combination of like balance, aerobic, and um, dynamic components uh, creating a bigger impact on VOMs. And I don't know if it's it's even more sensitive than um, just an aerobic or dynamic component. What's your take on that? Uh, do you want to talk? Because when do you do that? You, you do a lot of balance assessments. I, mean, as part I think of we, we do it in treatment for sure. Not, maybe it hasn't been necessarily done in, in this research study. Um, but yes, we definitely combine the cognitive, the balance, the dynamic movements, the conditioning all together in our treatment. Um, and what do you usually see, Wendy, as compared to just doing um, just the vestibular exercises versus combining balance vestibular? Um, and do you do that on the same day or do you want to do that on separate days? And um, how do you take uh, care of that? And how does it impact bombs for you if you do, do uh, check the bombs also? Right. So I typically don't check the VOMs at the end of the session. I just go at the beginning and I use their symptoms during the session as my guideline for progression. Um, but yeah, I love throwing all those things at the patient at once, so to speak, just to see, especially when they're higher functioning, right? They need to be able to think on their feet. They need to be able to balance. They need to be able to move their eyes quickly, move their head quickly. Um, so yeah, it, it gets to be a lot of fun working with this population. This was absolutely excellent. Thank you so much for sharing the insight about your article. Um, this article will be available in JNPT in July. And um, I think everybody is um, going to have fun reading this article. It's a great impact for um, both PTs and clinicians um, and other healthcare providers who will um, see these changes. Um, in my personal practice, um, I have noticed that uh, a very close collaboration with vision therapists, uh, even psychologists, because um, especially with children, they're not able to explain things so well. Um, this close collaboration between Physicians, we always get a chat with, but sometimes um, the vision therapist or the optometrists um, who are dealing with patients with specifically accommodation, convergence, uh, inefficiency um, issues, um, they like to know what we really do and how much we are impacting. And I, I think this is absolutely brilliant. And um, I'll be definitely using it in my patient population. And um, I'm looking forward to more research coming from your um, university. This is absolutely great. Thank you for listening to this interview, which has been brought to you by the Vestibular Special Interest Group of the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy. For more information on the vestibular SIG and the ANPT, please visit www.neuropt.org. Thank you.